This is Unfilter, episode 257 for November 1st, 2017. We're now on George Papadopoulos, the Trump campaign advisor who pled guilty to lying to the FBI about his contacts with Russians during the campaign. His agreement lays out months of contacts with Russia and top campaign officials. Our chief investigative correspondent, Brian Ross, here with the details. Good morning, Brian. Well, good morning, George. The Russian investigation now has its first turncoat or whistleblower among the president's men and women. And the question this morning is, who might he bring down? 30-year-old George Papadopoulos has emerged from obscurity with the best evidence yet of possible collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians. Fresh off, not one, not two, but three indictments. This is Unfilter. Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news that really you shouldn't be watching. Go out. Enjoy the weather. It's really nice out there. Well, wait. No. No, it's not. Anyway, hey, welcome, everybody. We have a great show lined up for you. My name is Chase. Running the board this week is our board op, Mr. Chris. Hey, hey you Chris. don't mind if I sit in on the show, do you? No, no. Actually, no? you know what? Go ahead. Turn on your mic. Sure. I mean, I, be I'm the board op. So. You are the board Well, yeah. we usually don't let the board no. op speak. No, I really appreciate This is my first time on the show. I really appreciate yeah, it. Great job, by Ooh, the way. So, yeah. Boy, you really had me come on in a heck of a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> heck of a week. I I was just looking over uh, the uh, notes there, and I noticed that we have a larger cyber section than I think we've had in ages. That's right. And we're going to start out with a piece of news that triggered the both of us this morning. <laughs> I started working on the show with a with a passion because of our first clip we're going to play. Oh, it's a great uh, clip. Then, yeah, we're going to get into the Manafort stuff, the Gates stuff, all of that. Yep, yep. Mr. Pop-up-a-bing-bang. We're going to... George. Let's just call him George. Just call him George. Just call him George. Wolf Blitzer calls him George... What's the ABC anchor's name? George Stephanopoulos. Yeah, that's what Blitzer accidentally called him on the air. Yeah. I'll play that in the overtime. It's pretty funny. All right. Then we have some more information on the original funders of... Of that Trump dossier. And then, yeah, last Friday, Friday news dump, the JFK files came out. And um, very bigly, very big, yeah. bigly. You know, thanks, thanks to President Trump. Don't we even, now don't have, even. We now have, don't even. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Uh, <laughs> there is actually a couple of really interesting things in there. Not mm-hmm. necessarily about JFK, no. but about other things that will blow your mind. We'll you tell mean, you about you that. You mean JFK and Kennedy? That's amazing. I know, right? Yeah. And then also, uh, some just a couple of strange little bits that we're going to pick up from the Vegas shooting that we haven't talked about for a little bit, and then we're going to end it on a high note that's got information you need to Do know Do you got about. info on bump stocks at all? I mean, anything going on with that? <laughs> Well, you know, I'm a big bump stock guy. I know. So I figure, you know, with uh, with Vegas. Oh, wait, no, I was thinking bumper shoots. Sorry, that's that's a different thing. That was Labor Day weekend. <laughs> you missed that. <laughs> All right, so you ready to start with the story that got us both fired up this a- morning? A-S-L. So uh, NBC's figured it all out. Everybody, you gamers out there, you're busted. Hey, think, Chris. Yeah, think. You, that's the title of this. That's the title the of this, NBC by the NBC Think. It's the, um, the NBC Think piece, and they want they want you to know that they figured out that gamers are really the alt-right. Before white supremacists, neo-Nazis, and white nationalists marched in Charlottesville, Virginia in August, they were organizing behind a computer screen. So that footage, though, you know that footage there of uh, Charlottesville? That's all... That's all. All the networks have used this one piece, and it's all from Vice. So Vice is the. This is sourced from Vice. Every time you've seen any 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 white man walking with a tiki torch, that 
is all from Vice. It's really yeah. interesting. So this yeah. is a clip that gets that's been getting played a lot. And uh, this piece is going to get this show flagged on YouTube because NBC has laid in a lot of music to this. And so it's going to be really easy for their uh, Python scripts to detect that this is NBC content. So uh, YouTube bots, we consider this fair use, but we continue on. Phil, Virginia in August. They were organizing behind a computer screen. And a lot of that organizing happened through a messaging service called Discord, which was originally oh, no. created to connect video game players okay. to one another. All right. So, so far, all right, I, I think we should break this down a little bit. Yeah, because, we're going to have to. Because so far, nothing here is untrue. They right. they just so happen to use Discord as their platform of choice. Dude, there are we have people right now in Discord. Yeah, these I mean, alt writers. <laughs> there are people that have used Telegram. They have used Snapchat. Yeah, terrorists. Uh, yeah, terrorists. <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah, I got me. You know, you know, Al Qaeda and all that. stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. The the Al Qaeda's. Yeah, the yeah, Qaeda's have yeah, done yeah, it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, so, ICER has done it too. Uh, ISIS and ISIL. ISIL. So all right. So so far so good. Yeah, right. great. Yeah. This is just the latest in the long-running Whoa! Whoa! Did you Whoa! see that? Did you see... My controller turned into a Nazi head. I, I, or the KKK. I think that's the KKK. I, I, I don't even know anymore. That's like, well, it's like some sort of stylized is KKK. Is that a, t- a KKK uh, yeah. hashed with a ski mask? Well, and you, Yes, and you see... That's exactly what it is. And Actually, you, Chris, that's a nuclear symbol. And you see, it's also that. Yeah. You see how it's linked to the Discord logo? So, so that means if I'm a controller, because I'm a gamer... And I use Discord. I'm also with KKKers. Is that's, that what that means? That's what they're charging. Okay, shows. got it. All right, got it. Between the gaming community and the alt right, the gamers of the alt right connecting, connecting the, the dots. dots. Gaming culture has always been racist. It's always been sexist. But the internet has whoa, sort of allowed. Whoa, 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 mm-hmm. whoa! Yeah, it's always whoa. been sexist. It's always been racist. Always, always. This, since the beginning sort of see what has always been there. Emma Vossen is a PhD candidate studying how sex... Candidate, by the way. ...sism seeded in gaming is replicated in the real world. Her study is based on Gamergate, a movement that began oh. with... Inter- and this is where they start connecting. It's the Gamergate was about gamers, right? It was about video gamers. It wasn't about social issues. It wasn't about anything. No, it was about gamers and gamers oh. use, dis- use Discord. Yeah, so they've tracked it. They've tracked it back to Gamergate, and you know what? Gamergate reminds them a lot be, about Chris. Be careful, because last time I talked about Gamergate, I was targeted, man. Yeah, well, uh, NBC's probably under target. Gamergate, a movement that began with intimidating and harassing female video game journalists under the guise of fairness in video game journalism. The harassment quickly gained traction. It helped catalyze the alt-right movement, which secured power and prominence during the 2016 election cycle. When you were studying Gamergate and you were really looking at the techniques that they use, it's impossible not to see the same techniques being used by Wait Trump a minute. supporters. All right, hold on for a minute. What? That's no. not gaming same techniques. stuff. Same Those techniques. are just awful memes, but yeah. they're still, I mean, but that doesn't mean gamers. No. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. doesn't at all. doesn't even a little bit. Not nope. even close. No, nope. not even an ounce. I'm not. I, I can yeah. barely. I can't make the logical leap. I can't even. There's, make it. there's none. Zero. Well, what they literally said is you see similarities. Power oh, and prominence during the 2016 election cycle. When you were studying Gamergate and you were really looking at the techniques that they use, it's impossible not to see the same techniques being used by Trump supporters. Yeah, but you see, she's thr- the, the, the technique she's talking about. Yeah, they're throwing that in the story while they're trying to connect a dot that's not there. So the technique that she's the talking dots. about is the use of memes. 
I believe. I that's guess. what they're talking about. Yeah. And, but of course, that's that's sort of ha- that is sort of how it's done now. On I mean, internet. I'm not I'm not denying that. Yeah, I've been on Xbox Live. I've been on some up oh, public sure, yeah. chats that there is trash talking. Yeah. That there is no filter on. Yeah, it's like sure. there's a bunch of kids on there saying stupid yeah. shit constantly. But you know, at the same time, I've known people to be called racist things, and they know that they're not racist, and the and it's like they think it's acceptable language. That kind of stuff. <laughs> According to Vossen, the gamers and the alt-right share common ground. As people who are marginalized are fighting for equality, those who traditionally had privilege, you know, especially white men, feel that they are being oppressed by these people who are trying to just be treated as equal. So I, I present you here. We have a case study of the human pattern matching machine, a.k.a. the brain, at its best. This woman has a very narrow focus in sociology. She yeah. is seeing a, she is seeing a pattern, and it's matching to the pattern that she's expecting to see. It's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. What's really happening here is she almost touches on it here just for a moment. I'll back up just a little bit because she almost gets there, uh, but she just misses the mark. According to Vossen, the gamers and the alt-right share common ground. Now, there is actually some truth to that. You could also say the unemployed. You could say small business owners like myself who are getting fucked in the ass by health insurance. You could say there's a lot of people that share common ground, but she doesn't make the right connecting. She doesn't connect the right dots here. As people who are marginalized are fighting for equality, those who traditionally had privilege, you know, especially white men, feel that they are being oppressed by... So you could rephrase this. Here would be um, maybe my pattern match, the middle class and all minorities and everybody who has been getting screwed over for the last 35 years by the military industrial complex and by D.C.'s corruption and by the fleecing of the middle class and the outsourcing of jobs. All of these things that have led to a steady decline of the quality of life that have led to the destruction of the quote unquote American dream. Everybody is angry in this area. This, the, this, uh, some might call them like a basket, kind of, like some sort of basket of, um, um, I don't know, just like people that aren't very great and very nice. Like they're really angry, you know, just really deplorable attitudes. Like yeah. Just like a basket of those people, uh, which would represent the majority that came out and voted for Trump, who was the chaos candidate. And while she gets close to making that realization, her own biases kick in, and instead she frames it as a... Um, white power, losing white power, oppression response. These people who are trying to just be treated as equal. Why do you hate black people? African Americans. Dirty, they're stingy, and they're just gross. Xbox Live and PlayStation Network both allow players to chat live while gaming. <clears throat> Which is a bunch of toxic shit. Oh. Always. So this uh, piece was put out by NBC. They want you to think about it. They literally say that, you know, just think about it. And they really go after Discord in this thing. you got to worry. Discord service played a substantial role in fomenting the riots that led to the death of Heather Heyer. After facing pressure, Discord shut down the servers used to organize in Charlottesville. The company right. stated... So I don't, I don't think that's accurate because it's not like, oh, you know, Discord was refusing to shut down these servers and then facing pressure, they shut down. It, it kind of feels and insinuates that. Yeah, it does. I, I think that Discord, once they were aware of what the servers were, right. they shut them down. Yeah. Like any place would do. Mm-hmm. Like t- maybe AOL chat rooms back in the day. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. or so, Facebook or Twitter. So the way that this is presented by this uh, person, I, and I don't even know who they are, it's not. It's really painting a, a really bad picture because you're just trying to hyper focus in on this one thing, and you're not being very fair about it. Like Veritunis says, 
uh, it's a lot of bullshit. <laughs> so it, it's a lot of BS. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, and you know, there are some pieces that we've pulled out that are accurate, that are correct. Yeah, there is but, something happening. But the overall narrative to try to a link it back to Gamergate uh, to kind of uh, regurgitate that terrible time because yeah there are some you know good female journalists that were being harassed be over this stuff Gamergate you know looking back at it was the really uh, the explosion into the public eye of of something that has really evolved into yeah. this identity politics that we yeah. have now that is toxic and hostile yeah and uh, Twitter and Facebook have been um, sort of right there all along and so it figures that eventually the government's attention would turn to them in this. Russian investigation, and uh, they sat down in front of a hearing and testified, and uh, there's a few things to pull out of this, actually. We've heard a lot this year about Russia and its attempt to use social media to influence the 2016 presidential (laughs) elections. But new revelations today about the role of social media giants like Facebook and Twitter add to the issue. Hari Srinivasan has our report. In fact, officials with Twitter met behind closed doors today with staff on the House and Senate Intelligence Committees about Russian involvement in the election. The New York Times reported that Russia may have used Twitter even more extensively to influence the election, including using automated message accounts or bots to spread false information and promote stories about emails by Democratic operatives. Now, there's only one thing to do when we have a a hot Russian news story breaking. Uh, We got to bring in the one, the only the uh, Zuck? No, the Sheriff Woody, right after a poignant <laughs> Zuck clip to set him up. A statement, quote, after the election, I made a comment that I thought the idea that misinformation on Facebook changed the outcome of the election was a crazy idea. You know why he would make that comment? That's Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is the CEO of Facebook, and he's fundamentally familiar with how Facebook works. Because what's uh, the percentages here, Chris? We'll get there. Yeah, he, I know. He's fundamentally aware of how the platform That's works. That's why right? he's thinking in the back of his head. This is crazy. This yeah. is not. The, but then he realized, oh, shit, I I just got us in some political hot water. Now I got to behave. Calling that crazy was dismissive, and I regret it. This is too important an issue to be dismissive. Congressman Adam Schiff is a Democrat oh, from good. California good. and Your ranking member friend, of the, the House Intelligence Committee, you which intends to have a hearing with tech companies soon. Uh, Representative Schiff, anything you can say publicly about your conversation with Twitter today? So Schiff sits here and he talks for quite a while about the importance of all of this, and he raises his eyebrows from time to time, but he doesn't really move his body much. Uh, and he, <laughs> he really talks about how this is uh, really the crime of the century. In terms of the use in Facebook, of Facebook and Twitter, I think we can tell that it's significant, but we don't really have a sense of the full dimension. Uh, if you look at uh, what... Okay, so we can tell it's significant. I can't stand to listen to Woody much longer. <laughs> you love that I, guy. I really do. Uh, and uh, there is... So that was before the big test of testimony. Uh, we had Google there. Tw- uh, Twitter was there. Facebook was there. And they were all just pouring their hearts out, you guys. Social media executives told a Senate subcommittee today that Russian-linked accounts began trying to interfere with the election in 2015, and they kept at it long after the voting had ended. Here's Nancy Cordes. Nancy? We take what happened on Facebook very seriously. Executives from Facebook, Twitter, and Google told senators today that Russian trolls were more prolific than they initially believed, posting 80,000 pieces of content on Facebook alone between 2015 and this summer. Yes, sir. Chris, uh, yeah. you know, I, I know you may or may not know this. Uh, how many pieces of content are posted? <laughs> I don't actually Like know. in a day. <laughs> in a day. Oh, man. I mean, there's what? They say they have a billion monthly active users. Yeah. So, so. in a day. Yeah. 
half that, maybe half a billion. I mean, and there's a lot of automated posts when people so, do like 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 you know because you you would consider like if you like a news article and it posts to your feed. So CBS here, you know, they're presenting it. You think they're going to give us some numbers? Maybe, maybe, but I was going to say that CBS here, you know, they're presenting this to the viewer at home, nightly news. They're watching this. You're 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 at your home. You just finished I'm your going, TV damn dinner. eighty thousand, dude. You're like. Harriet, look at this. 80,000 80, pieces. 2015. That's, that's a lot. That's not a lot. And this summer. So this continued after his election. It continued until we disabled the accounts. Most of the posts and ads originated from one office building in St. Petersburg, Russia. And of course, you know, just like when they had an advanced persistent threat, we have a ominous building shot. Where an operation innocuously named the right Internet there. Research Agency uploaded 1,100 videos to YouTube. What? Yep, 1,100 videos to YouTube. Wow, 1,100 videos. Do you, want, do you have a guess as to how many views on average they got? 200. You are 100 off. <laughs> yep. 100. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, some of them got 300, you know, like wow. this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And wow, published I'm, more wow. than 131,000 divisive messages on Twitter. Wow, how Facebook many tweets go out every day? Facebook estimates up to 126 million users saw fake Russian posts like this one. All right, so in the testimony, of course, for some reason, CBS decides not to put it in the clip, but in the testimony, they actually give you a scope, so, uh, some perspective I was going to say, I do, I do, if it's something that's very polarizing, it may be well-written, like a meme or anything like that, you know, and people are, are so passionate, especially about this last election, you know, Hillary's side and Trump's side. People will share and share and share, and it's kind of like a, a grass fire. You know, it will spread. So some sometimes, if it's if it's set mm-hmm. up a yeah. certain way, that's the great thing about a meme. That's why they it, that's why they actually take them seriously. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I agree. So, I mean, I know I poo poo on that eighty thousand number, but if they're if these guys are brilliant marketers over there in sure. Russia, I think we need to hire them. So here, here, spread the word. so let's put the eighty thousand number in perspective. It takes just a minute to get there, but I think it's worth playing a bit more of the testimony. Were these uh, ads pro-Clinton, anti-Clinton, or could you tell? Or these activities? So what I have, he's gonna he's gonna dance, yeah, because he's there. He he very much does have an agenda. If you watch this, uh, if you watch this testimony, but uh, a lot of the ads, from what I've been able to find, are um, about um, like Black Lives Matters, or they're about fracking. They're not really about Trump or Hillary. Uh, there is some about Hillary, I think, but it's not – I mean it's sort of like indirectly. Viewed in the aggregate, the activity, uh, again, really appears to address a wide range of hot-button topics and appears directed at, at, at fomenting right. discord and inflaming discourse. In terms of volume that's – the, That's the new phrase, by the way, inflaming discourse. Again, what – In m- terms of volume. How much volume are we talking about? About approximately 90% uh, of the volume we saw on the ad side appears to be uh, issues-based. Primarily, a a much smaller proportion were directed at particular candidates. But in terms of the actual Facebook, I I think somebody said 1 in 23,000. I don't know. Maybe that was another company. Correct. So in terms of the total volume of material on the site, it's a Okay, so this now before he says the now before he says the percentage, I want you to take in the totality of what's happened here. I mean, these people have been drugged here. Their testimony—it's been the topic of conversation now for three weeks about Russian meddling with the election via Facebook and Twitter. So now we are finally going to get some perspective 
on the total influence it had on Facebook. Very small percentage. We estimate that the Internet Research Agency content uh, was approximately 0.004% of the content <laughs> in newsfeed. 0.004%. So you're saying that there's a chance. And do you have a, do you have a guess as to what the Twitter percentage is? Because I know what it is. It's 0.7% of... Almost one whole percent. And that is of just just stuff related to election and politics. That's not even the totality of the Twitter feeds. Right. That's just if you to take all the tweets and just whittle it down to the political ones, 0.7% for Twitter. Wow. And 0.004% for Facebook. Unequivocal numbers here. I mean, this is... Candidates. But in terms of the actual Facebook, I said I think somebody said one in twenty three thousand. I don't know. Maybe that was another company. Correct. So in terms of the total volume of material on the site, it's a very small percentage. We estimate that the Internet Research Agency content uh, was approximately zero point zero zero four percent of the content in newsfeed uh, during the time period in question. So to sum this up, and I'll come back with a jihadist. Uh, in round two. So they spent um, they spent about seventeen hundred dollars on Google Ads. You know, which if you, that's that's uh, that's nothing. Yeah, that's so like it's, change. It's not a lot, but no, I th- what, what I think what's really going on here is more of like uh, trying to raise trying to raise sort of like an alarm about something that could happen. That's the that's the sort of um, I think uh, charitable interpretation. But I have a different interpretation. I have a conspiracy bacon that... Ooh, I'm hungry too. Now, for this conspiracy bacon structure to work, you have to buy into a couple of premises. Number one, you have to believe that the big politicians in D.C. are mostly bought and paid for by corporations. All right, so that's cracked pepper. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So if you think that you know maybe corporate influence is what really ro- rules the day in D.C. and that they're all a bunch of corporatists, uh, then you're, you, might, you might accept this premise. And, th- and here is the rest of it. Large media corporations, I mean really large media corporations, the ones that are based out of D.C. and New York, uh, they're a little upset. It's, it's an unfair playing field, and Google's been kicking their ass now for a decade. And now Facebook's starting to kick their ass, and here's the problem. Political ads during election season are when these companies make their money. They can run in the red during non-election years, but when the election year comes along, they make so much damn money, it makes up for the last four years of being in the red. So it's extremely important to them. But it's extremely obnoxious because they have to play by all these damn rules regarding political ads. It's very complicated, and it reduces their ability to sell. And guess what? Google and Facebook and Twitter don't have to follow those same rules. So they can sell different kinds of political ads that mainstream can't sell, and they're pissed off. So they're leveraging their control over their political puppets to launch a new law, and that new law is called the Honest Ads Act. Seems like nearly every day brings some new twist involving Russia and Facebook or Twitter or Google. On Capitol Hill today, three senators added this twist to the drama. They've introduced a bill they say will help protect the next U.S. election from Russian meddling by requiring tech giants to reveal who is buying political ads on their platforms. Virginia's Mark Warner is one of those three senators. He's also the top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee, and he joins us now from the Capitol. Welcome, Senator Warner. 
corner. So you could see how they would want, like, that's unfair. They have to, If we have to do that, then they have to do that. Yeah, but you know what that's going to mean, though? That means we're going to have to really use Google because they're going to use shells and PACs. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we really won't know who's putting money into what because we'll have to dig into it. Right. Now, granted, though, at least we'll know. I think you know what I think what they're really getting at is we're worried about really deep pockets like state pockets perhaps coming in just funneling money because we, they hey. would they would if they did it through us they'd have their names hey. would have to be on it as long as long as everybody has to do it I'm right. okay with that as long as every thank you Louise. thank you yeah no I, as long as everybody does it I'm down for it yeah all right so this guy comes on and uh, you know what does he know right he's just some senator what do you know so you are calling this bill you've introduced today the Honest Ads Act tell us briefly what it would do. Well, over the last nine or ten months, I've been saying to the social media companies, you got to come clean with the level of Russian interference. And slowly we're getting this information that there were thousands of paid ads, that there were false accounts. We saw a report yesterday that there was a fake account on Twitter that was representing itself as the Tennessee Republican Party. We're saying in this new era where over half of Americans get their ad from so or their news from social media, if you advertise Politically, on social media, you need to disclose who, what group is advertising, and there ought to be a place where people can go look at the content. The same kind of requirements that already exist if people were to advertise on NPR or on television or on in newsprint, equalizing the playing field. And then one other thing it would do, it, sure. we're simply asking the, the companies to make a reasonable attempt so that if that ad is being paid for by a foreign agent that they will try to reveal that foreign agent since that's already against the law for a foreign government to interfere in American elections. And to be clear, would this apply to ads uh, that mention a specific candidate, mention a specific party? It's basically about bringing it all in line. And he goes on to talk about that later on in the interview, too. It's sort of rather implied now. The Internet. So I think they want to come forward. I think a lot of Republicans will support after that. And I also hope candidly, that these companies who say they acknowledge that they need to do a better job of sorting through some of this content, of making sure that there's not foreign paid advertising coming into our American political system. Now, how, how does Facebook and Google do that on a system like that? They're going to have to either write new code, or they're going to have to hire new staff. But the uh, during testimony, they did all pledge to support the Honest Ads Act, whatever that means. So it's a new law is coming for uh, ads on the internet. I would love it when if ads had to tell the truth. Seems like it should just be one law for all ads. Why did, why yeah. is there a law for it's just that seems more complicated. Yeah. Just seems weird. I don't, I don't understand. You know what's complicated? It's what's this that? whole Manafort situation and Gates and Mana who? Um Manahor, really. I mean, let me tell you. So background <laughs> on the Manafort thing here is is he has been a wheeler and dealer for the Republican Party since Reagan. And uh, he's often worked for the worst dude in the room because they pay the best. And uh, he's uh, been a lobbyist for literally since Reagan. Uh, I mean, it is really something. He's been working in D.C. for a long time. My theory is I think he got into the Trump campaign via Priebus. And um, we'll, we'll talk about that more later. But let's start with the big news that we knew was coming because what, two or three weeks ago we covered that Manafort's house yeah. had been um, – yeah, and, and, and by the way, I got a lot of shit for that. You did? Reme- yeah, no, I, I don't did. remember no, that. I re- remember I said, hey, they wouldn't be raiding the house yeah, if, they didn't, if they didn't have probable cause. And a, a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, this is just a targeted situation to rubble. Really? Yeah, well, I, I got a lot of shit. Well, because I, I thought for well, sure it meant that there was probably, I thought oh, yeah. two things, either charges were coming or they were going to get evidence to lean on them. Yeah. 
I know one some, of the two things. Some in the chat might remember, but yeah, no, I got a little shit for it. Yeah, I tell you what. Well, here you go. Here so, we go. Charges or indictments, as they are. Paul Manafort, former Trump oh campaign God. chairman, is now a criminal defendant, accused of hiding millions in foreign consulting fees to avoid paying taxes and failing to register as a foreign lobbyist. Robert Mueller's prosecutors say Manafort and his business partner and right-hand man in the campaign, Rick Gates, earned more than $75 million from 2006 to 2015 wow. lobbying for Viktor Yanukovych, the former president of Ukraine, Vladimir Putin's man in that position, but put the money in banks on islands nations outside the U.S. to hide it from the government. But now let's stop there. Um, it is it is seems un-American to me. It seems like you're cheating the tax system when you do that. But it is also not uncommon. Um, I mean, everybody knows that Apple and Microsoft and Google do it. But a lot of rich people, if you make a lot of money outside the U.S., why would you bring it in? Right. Because you have to pay an exorbitant amount of taxes on that. And you can, if you make money outside the U.S., you can keep it outside the U.S. and you can spend it outside the U.S. Where shit got shady is when he would use shell corporations to bring the money in on the down low. Now, that's a whole other issue. But, like, the way that they're, like, framing, like, offshore accounts, that seems like... It seems like you could really start some shit there because a lot of lot of rich people and a lot of corporations have offshore they do accounts. That already. That's pretty that's pretty standard. 2006 to 2015 lobbying for Viktor Yanukovych, the former president of Ukraine. Remember that too, Viktor Yanukovych, the former president of Ukraine. Vladimir Putin's man in that position, but put the money in banks on island nations outside the U.S. to hide it from the government. But the indictment says nothing about Manafort's role in the Trump campaign. His lawyer angrily calls the charges ridiculous. Well, I think you all saw today that President Donald Trump was correct. There is no evidence that Mr. Manafort or the Trump campaign colluded with the Russian government. So let's stop. Let's stop. Okay. So why is he saying that? What is? What the hell does he mean? Right. And uh, because isn't this obviously prove Russian collusion? What? What? It, what is in? What is in the indictment? Is that he colluded with? the Ukrainian government and lobbied in the U.S. via two companies, two lobby companies. So Manafort himself did not do the lobbying. You understand? He hired lobbying companies, two of them. And uh, he used funding that was provided by the Ukrainian government back is you know, like 2014. I, I, will, I will pose you the question while we, while we listen to the rest of this clip. What did the Ukrainian government need to lobby for in 2014? What did the standing past Ukrainian government need to lobby for? Manafort and Gates pleaded not guilty during a brief court appearance today. The judge set their bail and ordered them to remain in home detention. Prosecutors say Manafort spent some of his millions on four homes in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Long Island, as well as in suburban Washington, D.C. They love to go into the clothes, too, dude, the clothes that he spent money on. That also always strikes me as like the news reporter that's reporting on this probably has a thousand dollar suit on. So it's kind of like, OK, hmm. now, OK, so let's go back to that question I just posed to you. What would the past Ukrainian government need to lobby in the U.S. for? Well, it's some of it might be implied here in his lawyer's sort of stumbly speech. Reporting, George Stephanopoulos. Papadopoulos. Now with breaking news in the Russia investigation. There you see Paul Manafort's lawyer before the cameras are at the courthouse. He's just pled not guilty. Let's listen. Mr. Manafort represented pro-European Union campaigns for the Ukrainian Ukrainian, and then he stops, 
He was almost going to say something. Was he going to say Ukrainian government? I think so. But he stopped himself. Exactly. Yeah. You can, if you're watching the video, you can you can see his mouth searching for the word. Like he knows, like shit. I I almost said government. You know how like data used to do the accessing thing. Yeah, yeah. that's what he's accessing. Yeah, accessing. It's, it's one of these moments in the show where it is better in video right there. But just trust us. Like his mouth basically just sort of fumbles around for a moment silently. And in that, he was seeking to further democracy. And to help the Ukraine come closer to the United States. Such a good guy. So what does he mean? What is he trying to say? Well, it's funny, Chase. It's it's all out there. I have some of it linked in the show notes. You see, my friends, uh, there was a story you may recall from, oh, I don't know, a little while ago. Fuck the EU. Where uh, the United States government and other NATO partners um, colluded, you might say, actually. I I just realized how loaded that word is now. Colluded to topple the Ukrainian government during the uh, crime and the whole. And then, of course, which resulted in the Crimean succession, uh, which uh, everybody blames Putin for and little little, uh, brown men. He was lobbying for the president that got replaced. That's what Manafort was doing. He was lobbying for the guy that got replaced, the guy that was pro-Putin. And he was lobbying to try to keep his job. He was, And this is what Manafort does best. He works for the real sons of bitches, the ones that really pay the good money. And then he goes and he fights the good fight. And there's only one cocksucker that's good enough <laughs> to do that job for Manafort. Because remember, Manafort didn't do the lobbying himself. No, he hired two companies. And you may, you may have heard of one of these companies. may sound a little familiar to you. It's the Podesta Group. Uh. ...used a sham group called the European Center for a Modern Ukraine to lobby on behalf of pro-Russian forces in Ukraine. Those forces sought a number of changes to American policy, changes to the Republican platform, for example. Some of the changes are obviously contrary to America's interests and values. Among them, they wanted the U.S. government to support the imprisonment of one of the Ukraine president's political opponents. Shady does not begin to describe this operation. It's kind of amazing. So while the Podesta group was taking money uh, from Manafort, in the background, the Hillary Clinton campaign was beginning to build. Remember, this is 2014, 2015. But Clinton was beginning to assemble her campaign and he probably knew he was going to be involved in Hillary's campaign while his company is actively lobbying for the Ukrainian government that Hillary was involved in throwing while she was the secretary of the state. Holy crap. Even some of Tony Podesta's own employees thought the whole thing was disgusting. Well, today's indictment confirms our reporting on this. It describes the Center for Modern Ukraine as a fake organization, merely, quote, a mouthpiece for the Ukrainian president, Yanukovych. The indictment also confirms that the lobbying groups Manafort hired in Washington, including Tony Podesta's, knew perfectly well that the Center for the Modern Ukraine was fake when they signed on to represent it. Yeah, you can find it at OpenSecrets.org. So there's two lobbying groups. I'm blanking on the other one, but they are less relevant because they got paid significantly less than the Podesta group did. According to the feds, Podesta's company was told explicitly they would be lobbying on behalf of the Ukrainian president. In November 2012, the indictment says Manafort's business partner explicitly requested reports on lobbying activity by both those companies so that he could brief the president of Ukraine, Yanukovych, on what they were doing. So the president was directly aware of the efforts by the Podesta group. The Podesta group was aware that they were doing it on behalf of the president, but yet they are not being they hadn't they hadn't gone through the quote unquote bother of registering as foreign agents. It couldn't get dirtier. 
But despite apparently knowing they were acting as foreign agents, agents of a foreign government, the Podesta group never registered as foreign agents. Failure to do that is against the law. In April 2012, the Podesta group filed documents with Congress relating to its work with the Center for a Modern Ukraine. At the time, they falsely claimed that group was just a foreign NGO. The Podesta group's filing contained a declaration by the Center for Modern Ukraine that, quote, none of the activities of the center are directly or indirectly supervised, directed, controlled, financed, or subsidized in whole or in part by a government of a foreign country or a foreign political party. So this Center for a Modern Ukraine is this uh, sham company that isn't even really bothered to be even like you couldn't even make it legit like you couldn't even put the effort into it so this sham company is uh even goes to the trouble of somebody probably not manafort himself but somebody in it goes to the trouble of putting together like this declaration that they can then say makes them an ngo even though that's also completely falsified that declaration, false, was endorsed as true by Kimberly Fritz, now the CEO of the Podesta Group and a former Jeb Bush staffer, all apparently a lie. Moreover, according to today's indictment, the Podesta Group must have known it was a lie when they signed that document. Under the law, the firm should have immediately registered with the government, the U.S. government, under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. And I think, uh, I think the, uh, Tony Podesta... Stood, you know, John Podesta's brother uh, uh, resigned from yeah, the Podesta group. He did, yeah. Uh, but that's all interesting, and we'll see. Maybe that goes somewhere. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe they just get fined. I don't know for not registering. But there was there was another indictment that I think is far more interesting. Potentially more important, we learned today that a Trump campaign volunteer advisor, George Papadopoulos, has admitted that he was in touch with Russians during the campaign, who said they had Kremlin contacts and could offer, quote, dirt on Hillary Clinton, including thousands of emails. Doesn't this sound exactly like the stuff that Junior got? Uh Uh-huh. It reveals that a Trump campaign advisor was communicating with well-connected Russians who are offering him dirt on Hillary Clinton. Now, it's argued how much of an advisor this guy is. Including emails as far back as April 2016. That's well before we knew that the Russians had hacked the Democrats. Prosecutors revealed today that he was arrested three months ago at Dulles Airport and has been cooperating with Mueller's investigators ever since. Oh. Oh, really? Oh, for three months he's been cooperating with investigators. You know what I got to say? say i'm impressed that none of that got leaked out yeah really yeah well I'm actually impressed by that have you noticed the significant reduction in leaks now that bannon and Priebus are out of the white house uh-huh like all now that now that this this new kelly guy's in and all like the leaks leaks are still coming from the cia there's still stuff that's happening but a lot less leaks lot these days less. and this didn't make it out of the justice department maybe sessions is uh, cleaning house he pleaded guilty i hate that guy by the way <laughs> he loved three you. weeks ago admitting he lied to the fbi by denying that he was involved with the campaign now here's the beautiful thing about this photo that got him screwed later on because this photo is out there here he is advising the campaign right and he's right there four seats away from the president this is one of those moments that uh shows you how politically unsophisticated trump's campaign was this was a publicity stunt they put together because the clinton campaign was attacking him for not having enough 
political, um, um, uh, not consultant, but uh, advisors on foreign policy. And so he, they put this, they pulled together this stunt, uh, which was probably a Manafort idea at the time, to take it, put everybody in here, get everybody in, we'll take a photo, and this is Trump getting advised. Trump looks like he's asleep in the publicity <laughs> photo. It looks like a total joke. This guy is a total loser, and he's in this photo because they rushed everybody in here. They put the photo out on Twitter. It's look, look, Donald Trump getting advised. Ha ha, Hillary's wrong. And in their half ham-fisted, half-assed attempt to shut her up, they totally sunk this guy later on. And it's just amazing because if they had had their shit together, they would have already had an advisory panel just put together. They would have already had the pieces in motion. But because they had no political experience, they were totally caught off guard. They rushed this thing. They ham-fisted the release. And now, a year later, it's torpedoing this guy. It's I don't know. What are the chances of that? It's, I know. It's, it's been with Mueller's investigators ever since. He pleaded guilty three weeks ago, admitting he lied to the FBI by denying that he was involved with the campaign Oops. when he communicated with the Russians who wanted to set up a meeting between Trump and Vladimir so, Putin. During- I have a side question. Mm. And I don't know if anybody's really answered this yet. And maybe no one can. And you know, But then again, the news loves to speculate. Why do you think he lied? Do you, do you think he lied because he, he thought that you know, the president's clout, you know, saying, oh, this is nothing. This is not a big deal. You I know, mean, I, it's funny. I didn't really thought about why because there's people lie so much now. Oh, I know. Really... We see it all the time. And then we never see anybody get held accountable for it. And he was. He was he obviously held to the fire. Do you think? Why did I mean, it would I, be one thing to lie to the press. It's another thing to lie to the FBI. Like, that's a whole another kind of lie. Right. So right. it's like that's a seriously intentional lie. Yeah, but I mean, but you like you have a, a guy like your best friend Sessions, you know, lying in front of the the panel about his Russian interactions. Lying, yeah, I think that's just I don't know. That's a I feel like that's a different that's, that's a different lie. Uh, Still under oath. Still I, I, lie. Well, that's him just being at a at a party, right? That's not him. That's not him exchanging <laughs> okay. having emails with dirt but on yeah, Hillary. Why do you think this guy lied? I mean, I, maybe because it was Oppo research that he was conducting, and uh, maybe he was not. Maybe he okay. Well, I mean, maybe he was expecting the Trump or administration maybe he thought to back he him get up. Caught. Maybe he thought, yeah, maybe he thought he wouldn't, you know. Well, here's the problem yeah. is uh, the frickin' White House sort of threw him under the bus. They, uh, they're the ones that well, released his emails. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. released his damn emails, yeah. Papadopoulos is an example of actually somebody doing the wrong thing while the president's campaign did the right thing. Oh. All of his emails. You like that? You like that? Talk about like. He's wrong, but we're right. Hey, George, here's the bus. ...were voluntarily provided to the special counsel by the campaign, and that is what uh, led to the process and the place that we're in right now was the campaign fully cooperating and helping with that. What Papadopoulos did was lie, and that's on him, not on the campaign, and we can't speak for that. Uh, we can't speak right. Next question. Yeah. My understanding is the only interaction he ever had was the one meeting that the advisory council gathered together where he was in a large group of other people in the room. And to my knowledge, that's the only interaction they ever had. You know, uh, so here is my understanding of George and where he came from. He started in the Ben Carson campaign. And then when Ben Carson's campaign collapsed, uh, I believe Priebus had him moved over to Trump's campaign. Uh, he was supposedly a volunteer for both of them. Uh, but uh, when pushed on it, she had uh, – Sarah, Sarah Sanders had um, quite the response as she does sometimes. One of those responses that makes spicy look tame actually. Well, Sarah, just so we have that terminology straight, when you say George Papadopoulos had no official capacity, what do you mean by that? 
I mean, he was uh, a volunteer on the campaign and a volunteer member of an advisory council that met one time. So his activities were entirely of his invention. No one asked him to do any of these things. Is that what you're telling the American public? I'm telling you that he was a volunteer member of a, an advisory council that literally met one time. Now, what do you, how do you, what's your gut to that? What's your gut response my, my to that? My gut response to that is she doesn't want to answer the question. Well, yeah, but I mean the whole con, the whole excuse of, uh, well, he's just an advisory guy. Here's what I would it do. It doesn't float for me. Yeah, it doesn't float. Here's why it doesn't float for me, too. Because if you're going to have somebody go do dirty oppo research with the Russians, uh, you're not going to send one of your top guys. You're going to go send one of the guys you can easily throw into the bus and say he's a volunteer. Exactly. This guy's like hired to do this kind of stuff in a way because right. you can say, well, no, he's just some, he's just some so, volunteer. Some so, volunteer that was in the Carson campaign that was handpicked by Priebus to be in the Trump right. campaign. So maybe, just the, some maybe we just answered the question from earlier. That's why he lied. He was told to lie. Yeah, maybe. Is now there are two episodes in which people associated with the campaign at a rather high level, at least in one instance, and George Papadopoulos is a member of a foreign policy or military advisory committee, saw dirt on Hillary Clinton from people representing themselves as either linked to or associated with the Russian government. Is that just a coincidence? The only... I do. So that's a good question, right? Very so good this question, is like, hey, yeah. this is our second coincidence here. This is starting to be a little strange. It's like, uh, you know, maybe you start to figure it and out. And by the way, uh, I forget the guy's name. That's Major on the left. Yeah, but, Major. Uh, the guy on the right. The CBS. Uh, 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 that's not Scott Pelley, yeah, but another no. guy. But watch the guy on the right after he said that question. Okay. I do. So. Um, it's just comical. Uh, yeah, okay. Themselves as either linked to or associated with the Russian government. Is that just a coincidence? The only. Uh, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, good question. Oh. <laughs> That's like, hey, you, you, woke up, you woke up there hey, for what? that one. <laughs> do, you, do you think there's any credence? And I'm just spitballing here. Yeah. I haven't read this, but I'm just kind of wondering. When I when I looked at that dossier and I looked at some of the some of the accusations or some of the connections in there, it seemed like some of these meetings might have been set up by the very people that were writing by Fusion GPS. Because oh um, yeah, the n- none of them ever worked out when the when when uh, when the people are like they, they're all that all the connections are bogus like the meetings never happened a professor that gets referenced turns out to have no idea what anybody's talking about like it, it always turns out to be like the meetings were bogus they were they weren't what they supposed to be I don't know it's almost like it was is almost designed to entrap these idiots or something. Hmm. Maybe I mean, not. That would, I mean, that would be brilliant if that that yeah, be the case. I doubt it. I doubt it. It's <laughs> just when I. It's just that it's it, it, it. just they tried so hard. They tried so hard to get dirt from the Russians. They tried so hard, and they and each time they 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 go to a meeting, it either doesn't happen or it turns out to be about something else. And it's just they 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 blow it each time. Meanwhile, the Clinton campaign's got the funding down to Fusion GPS, and they got this research going. Like, actually, this time at that point in time, it was we'll get to that. It was a different organization, um, and yet, and yet they still they still couldn't get the information, and yet and they but they. They got the emails where they, you can see that they tried, right? So you can, they got their hands caught in the cookie jar, but they didn't get any cookies is what the problem right, is. Yeah. And so we have, you, have to really kind of, you have to really kind of appreciate their position here because while there was no dirty play, they did try. But at the same time, there is other dirty play out there that if, if handled with the same level of scrutiny, people would probably be pretty upset about. Um, 
interaction I'm aware of that deals with this individual was him reaching out and being repeatedly denied. So that's all I can tell you is he now was. She tries to move on, right? But then she starts to get. She's like, God, this is. He asked to do things. He was basically pushed back or not responded to in any way. Uh, so any actions that he took would have been on his own, and you'd have to ask him about those because I can't answer. Okay, somebody else. Somebody else. That's similar. That same kind of meeting. But he doesn't stop at Trump Tower. I'm sorry. What explains the campaign's later involvement with those associated with the Russian government or said they were to get dirt on Hillary Clinton later in the campaign? Are these things that they too, took one meeting, nothing came of it? Uh, no, I don't believe so. She's like, okay, so they're not related. Again, she's like, okay, yeah, we did those things. We did put our hand in the cookie jar, but we didn't get any cookies. Yeah, there's no collusion because nothing happened. Yeah, yeah. Move on. Indicate a pattern of trying to obtain that information from a that pattern government. Of- getting information about your opponent no the big the big difference here is and this is where she's just sort of breaks loose she's like okay here's what i think the bigger story is you have a meeting that took place versus millions of dollars being sent to create fake information to actually influence the election you compare those two those are apples and oranges what the clinton campaign did what the dnc Uh, did was actually exchange money they took a meeting those are far different and and one uh is pretty common practice in any campaign to take a meeting the other one is actually paying money right. for false information. Yeah. That's a big, common practice a big difference. to take a meeting. Not common practice to take a meeting with a foreign government. How do we know that? We don't. I, I don't. I mean, that is what everybody's saying right now. Right. I agree. I, I, mean, I don't actually know if that's true or not, though. Right. Like, like if Canada, it, would it be a big deal if Canada or Mexico had emailed the Trump campaign? No, I no, bet they probably did. Because though. that's NAFTA. Because uh, you could use NAFTA. You know, I mean, if you look at it in terms of size of countries around the world, uh, I bet China probably sent an email. I bet there was some, probably some other emails being sent right. around. I don't know if that is actually true. I do know that I, I kind of almost wish they had gotten some dirt. So here's because it just would have made the story. So so much better, yeah, yeah, you know. But uh, here's the background subtext to this is, <clears throat> and I would bet you some of these uh, son of a bitches in the Trump campaign, like Manafort and uh, George uh, Papa Pimple, they probably knew this. There, there was a heavy hitter, quote unquote, I think he died recently, um, conservative journalist, and uh, he was in the process of researching the Clinton email leaks. And it, according to him, there were five hacker groups that compromised the Clinton email server, and two of them were Russian. And that uh, they it gave credence. This is again, I, I have all this linked in the show notes. I'm not saying I buy into this. Full disclosure, I'm telling you what some people are suggesting, and I have a link in the show notes. Right. And so the the people in the political know in the in, on the right knew that what this journalist was doing because he was he's he's well followed. And uh, so there was there was credence to the idea that Russians had Hillary's email. And it was something that had been floating around. The Hillary's email server had been hacked. That was something that was floating around a lot during that whole email story. It was it was a murmur story that was just being passed around a lot and people were speculating about it constantly. So it was active speculation. And there was some reason to buy into that the Russians may have had the emails. And so you've got to figure everybody suspected there was more than the 33,000 or whatever. Like, everybody suspected there was more. So many got deleted. Everybody knew. Everybody knew Hillary's always into some shit. So if you had her whole email archive, there's undoubtedly some nuggets in there. I I, I don't know. If, if Canada came with an email about that, I... Maybe the was say say uh, or say MI six had compromised their email server, and then somebody a leaker from from MI six wanted to, to meet with the Trump campaign. Would that be considered worse? I, I I don't think it matters what the in my opinion it doesn't matter what the country is. 
I agree. I mean, it shouldn't matter. I mean, when you're when you're con- when you're talking about the biggest election, and I'm not talking about the race between Hillary and Trump. I'm talking about the, a presidential election, that kind of thing. It shouldn't matter the country. Yeah, it matters the process. It matters doing it right. Yeah, I I I, I don't know. I don't know if any of it, uh, like I mean, any of the like I think, five hacker groups. I don't know if any yeah. of that's true. It could all be bullshit. Yeah. I think honestly, you know, uh, you know, now with the the first indictment, I mean, we're we're at the we're at the start here. I, I don't think we're at the end. We're at the start. Now we're at the start. Now we're yeah. now we're seeing yeah, you, we're seeing people shake up. Now. This Ukrainian stuff. Uh, so Manafort is basically basically getting uh, um, well, he's basically getting busted for something he's made his entire career out of. This is something he's. This is what he's done forever right. for forty years. So um, I don't. I don't really. I don't. I don't really know if they're gonna if they're gonna nail him super hard because there's no like he's not he's not doing it on behalf of Putin he was doing it on the behalf of the Ukrainian president he may get in some trouble but I bet you it's it's gonna be pretty yeah. pretty kind of like pretty tame I, I that'd be my my guess maybe they could or, or they could use his leverage to get him to talk more but well I, I and I think that's why right now with this whole bail period this is where you're gonna see conversations that are gonna happen behind the scenes. And say like, well, hey, instead of spending fifteen years in a federal place, maybe we'll give you five in a nice resort if you give us some information. And and I and I think this is where you're going to start to see more things play out. What would be particularly interesting to me is if uh, the Mueller investigation also somehow ended up connecting around to the Uranium One investigation, just to get more information, just finally settled about that. Ever something that everybody can agree on. Um, because that would be nice too. But it, I want to talk about the dossier a little bit before we move on too far. You know, I, we speculated last week that we would find out very soon about the original financer before the Clinton campaign and the DNC took it on. And it what's, what's predominantly been the speculation has been Bush, uh, which always seemed a likely case to me. You know, Bush would probably want to take Trump down. But uh, now, now the word is that it wasn't the Bush campaign, but it was the uh, conservative outlet Free Beacon the Washington Free Beacon, as we mentioned earlier, has acknowledged word. Fusion GPS, the shadowy oppo research firm, was digging up dirt on Republican candidates, including Donald Trump, though it says it had nothing to do with the Russia dossier later produced by the company. That's interesting. He says candidates. I wonder if I wonder if he did. I wonder if Fusion GPS did research on Cruz and Carson. And, you know, I wonder what else they have. Out what about there. Jeb. Yeah. What about? Please Joining clap. us now is the man who broke that story, Byron York, chief political correspondent of the Washington Examiner and a Fox News contributor. And a Tim really, Robbins lookalike. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't need to listen to Tim <laughs> Robbins. Uh, so Free Beacon there funded it initially. Then when when I guess when Trump sort of uh, was pulling ahead, Free Beacon stopped, and the DNC took over. I guess and oh, uh, sort of yeah. the Clinton campaign via a lawfer, via okay. a lawfer. Right. So I didn't really talk about it much last week. In fact, I just kind of tucked it away in the overtime. I mentioned, yeah, the JFK files are coming out. I didn't expect a lot. It was it was nice for the president to release them. Uh, you know, you actually, know. I I kind of am pissed because at the very last second, oh, he helped some some. Of yeah, them he let the back. CIA uh, rough him up, and Which he held some back. Pissed me back, pissed me off because it's like, uh, you only had twenty five freaking years to decide. Yeah, and now this. they have another hundred and eighty days. Ah, jeez. Which is really a bummer. But we did get some good deets. Uh, I'll, I'll play a couple from NBC here, and then I got an ABC report, and then I, I got a couple links we'll talk about. The documents offer more proof that the Secret Service was apparently never told Lee Harvey Oswald might be a danger to the president. 
even though the CIA and FBI had him under surveillance for months as a potential communist threat. Isn't that amazing? Wow. You know, just so like even back then, no one talked to each other. Yeah, even back then, the the person that ended up doing the crime was already under surveillance. Just like the Vegas shooter, just like the New York driver. No, 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 Chris, you can't make those comparisons. Just like all of them. Can you actually name a single domestic terrorist event that's happened recently where they weren't already on the FBI's radar? I'll have to get back to you on that, Chris. I can't think of a single one. I can't either, no. And it turns out that was even a thing back during the Oswald days. That's just, um, well, it's really something. It's perhaps, it's either... Just incredibly, incredibly uh, coincidental and uh, shows you that they're always just on the verge of stopping. It's just always, but never quite, never quite closing the deal. Or it shows you that we are so ignorant that even when it's right in front of our face for decades, we still don't see the obvious us being the American people. I'm not sure which one it is. For months as a potential communist threat. Oswald was added to the list of threats to the president November 22nd, 1963. Reason, quote, kill JFK. That's incredible. Wow. He was a misfit and a sociopath who defected to the Soviet Union. That's the new, uh, so that's the new little bit here is that he talked to the KGB. Isn't that interesting? They managed to make a Russia connection with Oswald. Little uh, little retroactive storytelling there. I thought that was pretty impressive. Uh, here's ABC. They actually touched on one of the more interesting aspects. NBC totally dodged this, and ABC opens with it. Next tonight, inside the JFK files, finally released, and there are still many to come. But in the documents already, new intrigue and new questions tonight. Among them, an unconfirmed tip to a British newspaper minutes before the shooting. And after Lee Harvey Oswald was killed, the memo from the FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover, and his concern, writing that the U.S. must believe Oswald acted alone. ABC's chief national correspondent, Tom Yamas, was at the archives when the files were released. How about that? How about that as a couple? So there was a British news outlet that got a heads up before Kennedy was shot. Wow. Tonight, President Trump getting caught up in his own JFK conspiracy after deciding not to release all the documents tied to the assassination. Senator Chuck Grassley, a Republican, calling it ridiculous, tweeting, CIA wants further cover-up. POTUS, stop. The president's decision coming after an appeal from the CIA and the FBI that releasing certain files could put the lives of some of our spies in danger. Like you said, they had 20 years to plan for this. Yeah, and now they're going to get yeah. 180 days more. Among the secret files, an unconfirmed tip that on the same day of the assassination, the Cambridge News, a paper in England, received a mysterious call instructing a reporter to call the American embassy in London for some big news. That alleged call came 25 minutes before Kennedy was shot. Two days later, assassin Lee Harvey Oswald killed on live television. There is Lee He's been shot. In an FBI memo, director J. Edgar Hoover outraged, calling that shooting inexcusable, fearing it will feed conspiracy theories, and saying he wants something issued so that we can convince the public that Oswald is the real assassin. Now, that's some interesting stuff, but that's about as juicy as it gets for the JFK stuff. Uh, What I found even more mind-blowing is uh, (laughs) the JFK files also reveal that the CIA planned to stage bombings in Miami and that they were then going to blame Castro. What? Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. A memo to a top military general, Maxwell Taylor, in April of 1962, describes planning for Operation Mongoose, a covert program aimed at subverting and overthrowing the Cuban Revolution. One part of the document reads... The terror campaign could be pointed at Cuban refugees seeking haven in the United States. We could sink a boatload of Cubans en route to Florida, real or or simulated. We could foster attempts of lives on Cuban refugees in the United States. And we could try exploding a few plastic bombs in carefully chosen spots in Miami. Another portion of the memo describes plans to unleash biological and chemical agents on on Cuban farms in a bid to cause crop failures. Wow. Bombs in Miami, sinking Cuban boats, all of it, so that way we could start a war, which uh, we we wanted a war, We the, and which really puts the Cuban Missile Crisis into context. And this isn't th- – there's Operation Northwood. You can look that up too. There are other attempts. There are other times that the CIA campaigned to bomb in American cities to cause um, the American people to rally around a war. This is not the first time. Now – that is, um, I think, interesting in context when you take it in with all of the other times the CIA has tried to do this. And if you know of any other names, some of the other operation names, feel free to put them in the Discord chat. Uh, but this next one really is a great one. <laughs> Apparently, the CIA also entertained the idea that Hitler was still alive and didn't kill himself after World War II. Uh, he may have escaped Germany and fleed for South America, according to CIA memos. And uh, now... I'm not saying, and they're not saying it happened, but here's essentially the story. And I have it linked in the show notes if you want to read the whole damn thing. But uh, the documents are dated October 3rd, 1955, and they say that an unnamed CIA agent referred to as, uh, it's like a code name, Kaim uh, Logi 3, was contacted by a trusted friend who served under his command in Europe and who was presently residing in Venezuela. Uh, And he said that, uh, uh, according to him, he had been talking to Hitler about once a month during a business trip that took him to Colombia, where he said that Hitler was hiding. The former German SS trooper also told the uh, same informant that the friend had posed with uh, the alleged Hitler for a photograph, which he included in the memo, which I'm showing on the the video stream right now if you're watching the video version. Wow. Crichton said that he is on the left of the image and the man who claims to be Hitler is on the right. Now, here's the other thing that's crazy about it. It wasn't just a uh, good old Adolf down there, uh, but apparently um, some good old Nazi soldier boys who were living in that area, and they still held Hitler in a high esteem, addressing him as de Fuhrer and, accord- and affording him Nazi salutes and stormtrooper adulation still. Wow. But the, the CIA remained skeptical. In a letter dated ni- November 4th, 1955, higher-ups cast a doubt on their reports. They said it is felt that enormous efforts would be spent trying to confirm the rumors, which could be expanded on this matter with remote possibility of establishing anything concrete. Therefore, we suggest that this matter be dropped. The, the, uh, that appears to be the final document released within JFK files about Hitler potentially hi- uh, hiding in South America. Uh, but they do note those same, um, those same executives or whatever, high-ups as they put it, the source thought it worthy of sending all the way to the CIA headquarters, which is notable. Even at the time, those guys had to do a lot of separating the wheat from the chaff. Um, but uh, sending it all the way to HQ and putting your name on it and sending a picture, was, you know, usually you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty serious about it if you're a CIA, if you work with the CIA. Uh, he, and he says, uh, uh, there's actually a book that talks about Hitler living there too. Uh, I can't pronounce it because it's, 
It's, it's in not Mein Kampf, right? It's not in English. <laughs> uh, but it tracks the alleged movements of Hitler throughout South America, and more specifically, Colombia. And uh, you know what? I'll put a link to this in the show notes, too, because why not? And uh, so that's, that's uh, in here, too. Wow, this is really... Wow, look at that. They even have where, They even have a map. Holy shit, this whole thing is... I had not read this part of it. This whole site is... I'll link that. It's really interesting. What do you think of that? Did not expect... I did, did not, not expect, expect Hitler. that at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and then it makes me wonder, why was that even sealed in the first place? Well, uh... Why was that included in the document trove? You know, I don't know. I, I was going to try to find out why would that be in... Why would that be in that batch? Yeah. That essentially, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. That's very It was released weird. as part of the uh, series of files in the, in the, in the John F. Kennedy stuff. That's amazing to me. Uh, amazing. And, yeah. And they've even got the photo there, which is really something. Um, it does look like him. It's old and grainy. Uh, again, it's microfilm. But <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah. We'll put all links to that stuff in the show notes. And um, by the way, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the reporting for the uh, staged bombings in Miami and, and sinking a Cuban boat is from Democracy Now! And I will have a link to that in the show notes as well if you'd like to check that out for yourself. Because that's some pretty salacious stuff there that came out that wasn't all about, uh, at all about a government conspiracy to murder a... Uh, Kennedy, but it's still pretty remarkable. Amazing, dude. Do you want to have a little uh, take a, a little uh, little uh, Las Vegas uh, shooter update? Because there's just a couple of items. As long as you have stuff about bump stocks, I'm okay about that. Well, maybe they right. might have been on the hard drive. We could have got a lot of information, but it turns out it's missing. From our LA bureau tonight, counterterror expert Aaron <laughs> Cohen with me, and Aaron, good evening to you on the West Coast. What what would explain as to why um, you don't have a hard drive and a laptop inside that room? Yeah, because it wasn't on his body either. So it's not on. So they ha, you know, they come in. He's dead. The laptop's there, but the drive's removed, and it's not on his person. It's not hidden anywhere in the hotel room. Well, Bill, I can tell you from from my experience in the intelligence business that we would destroy a hard drive if we were conducting an operation and we didn't want to have any uh, uh, circuitry fingerprint, any type of email fingerprint, any type of web browsing fingerprint. Oh, essentially what it does is it erases any potential find- This guy doesn't know. But he's trying to say that you guy would destroy his... But why are they saying from an intelligence standpoint? That's the thing that doesn't... Like, why would... Where, somebody would have had to take yeah, that drive. Yeah, someone would have had to gone in there and pop it out. Yeah. Yeah, and then here's the other thing that's weird. Speaking of somebody having to take that drive, you know the security guard that's the big hero? Uh, do you have a guess as to where he's chilling right now? No clue. Yeah, it's not in the United States. Oh, really? Joining us now is former Secret Service agent Dan Bongino. Um, so, Dan, why would investigators allow Jesus Campos, who, again, was the sole eyewitness that we know of, to the shooting from within the building, to leave the country shortly after while the investigation is still going on? I'm baffled by that. It's very strange, Tucker. I mean, think about it. There's really no guarantee he's ever going to return. He's not under arrest. Um, he, he's not under any court order to stay in the country. I wonder if he had a hard drive in his pocket. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So the security guard has fled the country, and he's in Mexico now. So, so you, got the, you got the Vegas shooter's brother arrested uh, for child so porn. So shady. Uh, I've also got links in the show notes about how the Vegas shooter was uh, wiretapped already um, before the shooting. And now we have... Uh, now we have that. I I that I don't know what to do with any of that, so I say we got a break for the high note, but you know what we got to do before that. Buddy. We have to head over and check out the sack. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty good. All it's right. the mail sack indictment edition. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Chris, I, I know you may not take a look at these from time to time, but uh, I was able to find a, uh, 
Uh, police, uh, gen- oh, you don't, uh, you know, oh, that's, uh, oh, that's right. Well, I was able to find a policeman actually handling a mailbox. I, I find all these creative mailbox pictures. Anyway, I asked Club 33, hey, what do you think about the indictments? Also, Spain and Catalonia is going on as well. Terrorist attack in New York or wild card, you tell me. So Veratuna chimed in and said, hey, well, I'm hoping you will cover some of what's been going on in the UK. I mean, that stuff's been crazy. I, I've been actually been reading about it on the Beebs. Definitely starting to bubble up now with the whole lewd MP behavior, member of parliament mm. behavior, and worse, in parliament. Might be also nice to hear what um, Filter's take is on the historia around Russian ads on YouTube being so pathetically insignificant, <laughs> it really can't ma- really make a mockery of the whole Russian he narrative. Hey, we already talked about that. He knows that. what's up. That's right. See, that's why we put this here, so we didn't spoil our thoughts on it. That's right. Uh, and also stay tuned to the Overtime, Mr. Veritunda, because... Uh, there is a little coverage of Brexit. However, I am always soliciting more links and more suggestions on that. So if you have any, kind of put them on my radar by going to our Discord chat room in the Unfilter area. And also, if you think it's particularly good, you could always try to ping producer Matt in there if he's there from time to time. I want to say big thanks to all of our new Club 33 members. We picked up a couple of new ones. We now have just one spot remaining as of this recording right now of Club 33. But hey, if you can't get in at that level, no worries. We ask that you try to jump in where you can. $5 gets you the investor award that gives you the full experience, gives you the access to the source files, every clip, notes, overtime, oh. RSS seed, bit towards sake, and all that. Damn, buddy. Uh, and if you can't get in that, that's okay. Just spread the word. Tell people about it. Share the video. Retweet the tweets. That's, word. Uh, that's the word. Get on the Discord. All the that bird. fun stuff. The bird is the word right the there. The bird is the word. Patreon.com slash unfilter. And uh, stay tuned. We'll thank our new patrons at the top of the overtime segment. Yeah. And uh, we uh, also will dedicate the whole damn thing to you uh, right after uh, Auntie reclaims her time. Reclaiming my time. Oh, uh, I can't she believe just, she, she just did it. Yeah, so we got a little high note here. Uh, actually, not a little. We got a big high note here. We got a big, fat high note. <laughs> and uh, it starts out, Chase, with uh, one of our favorites, a, uh, a classic uh, pot bust. Bus tonight in what bus. seems to be the most unlikely place. Police seize dozens of plants at an abandoned liquor store, but it's the location that's surprising. Phenylon uh-huh. uh, and Nevada, right across the street from the 11th precinct. Yeah. <laughs> right across the street from the cops, Chase. Right in plain sight. So can I bet you can probably guess how the cops figured out it was there. Uh, uh, all right, either they smelt it. Or one of their drug dogs alerted them to it. Good guesses. Uh, police found that grow operation right under their noses, Alan. <laughs> well, Stephen, first of all, tonight, neighbors tell me that they are in shock and awe. They can't believe that marijuana grow operation uh, busted inside this old abandoned liquor store. Probably what's even more alarming tonight, take a look around this corner. This building just feet away from the front door alarming. of the 11th Precinct. Alarming. WXYZ. Wow, I did not know that that was even happening over there. Who gives a shit? <laughs> you know the thing is though is this is a difficult thing because you stop because you're looky looing and all and the you know the media walks up to you roll down your window they put a camera and a bright light in your face because it's nighttime and they say what do you think go and all of a sudden you're on and you just kind of default into automatic responses. That's crazy. For Danita Freeman, news of a drug bust in her neighborhood is a huge surprise. It makes me paranoid and, and scared because I have young kids and my nephews. Officer, what what is exactly? Uh, Why would you be paranoid and scared? Yeah, over a plant. I'm it, just curious. In a way, I would be a little more weirded out by a giant abandoned building filled with uh, homeless people doing drugs. At least if it's a grow up, it's being cared for. Right. 
Here's in Detroit's 11th precinct recently smelled something unusual. Oh, <laughs> so, got it. I started smelling it yesterday. Their noses brought them here, right across the street from the precinct to the Piper Liquor Store at the corner of East Nevada and Fenelon. Man, that is some, I would say that is really brave. But here's the thing. This is not the first time we have no. had a story about a drug op right across the street from the police. It's like they know where their clients are. They know where their clientele is, and so they build near their clients. As they caught up on the liquor store, the odor was very strong. They went and got a search warrant, got a search warrant, and once they got in... Uh, what they found is significant. More than 40 marijuana plants were inside, ready to be harvested. Which comes to about 12,742 grams with a street value of 127,420. The operation going no, wait, on wait, for Wait, 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 wait. $130,000, they say. No, no, you didn't catch it, did you? What? No, what? 127420 yeah, oh, really? Jeez. Really? Did he do that? Really? Did he do that? I think he got trolled by somebody. 142 grams. No, no, keep going. With a street value of 127,420. Yeah, <laughs> I did, dude. They totally trolled him. He just got trolled. Because how do they re- know? Oh, yeah. Because here's what. Here's yeah. the thing is when you rip the plants out of the ground like that, guess what? Their street value? <laughs> Oh, it does look like some really great plants, though. Yeah. Um, well, could, does that look? So you notice, just as you watch this clip, yeah. It to me, it looks like they're not loading any of this stuff into police vehicles, but they look like there's like the cops, their own personal <laughs> trucks, a pickup truck. There's like, and there's some, watch. There's like several. The of operation them. going on for some time. It's like somebody's two personal trucks, a yeah. van. It's gone on for a while, probably about six to eight months. The trees are, they're not plants like you would think, like a small tomato plant. We're talking plants that are the size of probably a small evergreen tree. For Freeman and her family, there wow. goes it. See, look, there, there it goes. They're just happy it's out of their neighborhood. This side of my area, there's a lot of kids, little kids, so... I'm happy that it it's taken care of now. Well, yeah, because those little kids are going to get their hands on those. Gotta worry, you got to think of the kids, Chase. Think of the kids. Watch okay? the children. I, right across the street. That's Be careful. Great. So then you got Canada. You yeah. Got, and maybe maybe they're doing it right. They're, what? They're, no, I, I, uh, no. Don't say that. Because, I know. I, mean, I hate it. We're hearing about what's going on is in Alberta or Ontario where basically the, oh, yeah. the government's oh, yeah. doing a mass control kind of like what washington yep. state tried to yep. do here and yep oh yeah i'm not saying in, in in total i'm saying they're doing it right in in ways that really still put the federal government to shame like because not only have they wrapped their head around the fact that cannabis is a safe thing but they're they are instead of putting their heads in the sand they're they're actually trying to put stuff in place to help public education and to kind of get a budget ready educate people on cannabis. But first, more than half a billion dollars in total will be dedicated to getting recreational marijuana's market ready for the leap to legalization. Today, the consumer education budget was released. And we want to ensure that we can um, provide information to Canadians with respect to the risk associated to cannabis use. Also, we've spoken to provinces and territories, and we've heard from many stakeholders, and we're just very pleased that we're able to move forward and invest $46 million over the next five years. So it's not a ton of money, $46 million over five years, but I looked into what some of the stuff they're going to be talking about appears to be. Nothing's formalized yet. And it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's informational. It's not really super strong propaganda or anything like that. It's actually fairly informational. It's, as they say, fact-based. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition or if they manage to screw it all up. Um, but you know what you and I are missing out on? 
What's that? What appears to be a hell of an event. I have it linked in the show notes. It just wrapped up recently, and they got another one in Vegas in just a couple of weeks. I am Cassandra Farrington. I am the CEO and co-founder of Marijuana Business Daily, and Marijuana Business Daily produces the MJ BizCon events, which are the oldest and largest trade shows here in the cannabis space for the United States. So, you know, you got your uh, trade shows, of course. You got all your different shows. You got the PAXs and things like that. This is one for pot. All kinds of crazy gear, grow ops. It's like people in the industry, not necessarily consumers. Connect with all of the other professionals of the industry to get hands-on access to all of the infrastructure from grow lights to greenhouse construction to extraction equipment. Yeah, it's pretty neat because they have a bunch of really cool stuff in there. So if you're a supporter, you should grab that clip because, man, they have, like, here, look at this thing. Here, I'll just get you an image of it because it's so nuts. Look at this uh, monster piece of equipment. I don't even know what you'd call this. To enable banks to... It's, uh, well, I mean, it looks like something off the set of Star Trek. It's yeah. this large, tubular thing. It, the tube with the, the, the neon the, that's on the neon every, that, it's, it's on like all the, the sci-fi series yeah, ever. Yeah, 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 it looks yeah, like that yeah. thing. Yeah. Only something to do with pot. So that conference is going on, like, in Las Vegas on the 15th. So if you're going to go, you got to report back. Oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, that's... Sorry, I... You just got hailed. You I just, just got, got hail. hailing frequencies open. Now here is uh, here's a little market research chase. So you hear a lot of times about potential side effects with pot, and uh, it, it turns out there may actually be a little bit of an upside to to smoking the cannabis. You're going to get laid more. Weed isn't just for watching silly movies and enjoying tons of food. To be blunt, research shows marijuana use is connected with more sexual activity. Data from more than 28,000 women and nearly 23,000 men gathered in the National Survey of Family Growth surveys indicated that women who didn't use marijuana daily had sex on average of six times a month. Male daily users had a sex average of 6.9 times over the past month, while non-users averaged 5.6 times. Among women, daily users averaged having sex 7.1 times over non-users average of six times. There you go. So... If you want to have sex one more time a month, <laughs> smoke some pot. <laughs> Those are the kind of tips you tune into on Only if for. you're in legal states to do so. Now stick around. We do have the overtime coming up, and boy, is it a whammy. We have a, a new segment right off the top, shaking it up a little bit. And then we're going to have some more on um, Manafort, Trump's response to it, um, Blitzer confusing names, and also a little thing that we tease there during... The Club 33. What was it? What did we tease? What do I got to remember to play? You remember what it was? I don't. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Brexit clip. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll play that and a few other things. So that's all coming up in the overtime. But if you're all done, if you got your protein and your veggies and you don't need your carb, uh-huh. well, we understand that you're going to move on. Is that some... I got I to get a new... I got to get a new analogy. Just I, in the meantime. Yes. Chase, where can people find some of your stuff online? Uh, people could find my stuff over at geekgamer.tv. What? We have a Discord. We have a YouTube. Uh, you can also follow Amazing. me personally on Twitter at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. Hey, Chris. Yes, sir. You've been doing a lot of drone things. Oh, from time to time, it's yes. known to happen. And you got some great vlog stuff. Oh, did you see the fall shots I got in that? My God, Ooh. man. My God. YouTube.com slash Chris Fisher. That, I got to say, is a hell of a shot. You gotta go check that vlog out for that. By, by the way, I'm really interested in the Mavic Pro because they have it at Costco right oh, now. Oh, really? Nine ninety nine. Mm. Mm. You, uh, you can also follow me on the Twitter. Yep, yep. That'd be uh, the twitter.com slash chris l a s. Yes. Follow the network at Jupiter Signal for live times, announcements, things like that. Mister Nunes over there, you can follow him too 
Yep. He's at Nunes on the Twitter, and he's at GeekGamer no GeekGamer TV. At GeekGamer TV. Yeah, so. And uh, by the way, yeah, we do the show live. We do them on Wednesdays. The time zones will be changing. Daylight saving time is reckoning. So go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get it converted to your local time automatically and then join us at jblive.tv and discord.me slash jupitercolony for the chat room. We'd really like to have you join us there in that unfiltered channel that we've dedicated just for you. And you can check that after the fact for any links that you've seen during the show. And we'll see you back here next, next week. You guessed it. Show's not over yet. It's getting started, really. It's time for the overtime! Oh! Brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash unfiltered. This segment's dedicated to you guys. That's right. That's right. I want to thank our six new patrons this week. Michael, Stephen, Homero, Devin, Matthew, and Harvey. Devin, huh? I got a cousin, Devin. One of my, uh, one of my, um, like, uh, my age cousins in my age group getting married next weekend. His name's Devin. So thank you to our six new patrons. If you'd like to help us get to our next milestone where we take things up to the next level, patreon.com. Slash unfiltered. I got stuff in the works. We just need your support. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. All right. Now, we got some stuff in the overtime that's sort of tradition. And this week, we're going to shake up tradition just a little bit. I gave Nancy the week off because I felt like, honestly, I've just been railing on her too much. I've really been, like, just nonstop with Nancy. So this week, we're going to put the Oh Nancy segment on hold. And we'll introduce the O'Hillary segment. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Welcome to the O'Hillary segment, everybody. And we'll start off with old Hillary Clinton poking some jabs at Fox News. Hillary Clinton speaking out tonight about the Russia investigation and how a certain network is covering the story. Awkward. All the networks, except Fox, are reporting about what's really going on. And <laughs> She sits there and shakes her head. That's right. That's right. And uh, this is really Hillary Clinton telling you up front. Yeah, all the other networks are working with me. It's just Fox that I can't get to work with me. Them sums of peddling these stories about me. And, you know, I said the other day, I spoke at the human rights campaign. I said, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. She shakes her head. Yeah, that's right. I'm a badass. You should have voted for me. It appears they don't know I'm not president. Oh, shit, girl. I get where Hillary Clinton is coming from. Yeah, she's right, man. Yeah, actually, no, I'm serious. She is, um, I think she's actually right. I think they actually sometimes think she's uh, president. That's full. So now that we have no Trump collusion, here's what we do have tonight. This is what the media will ignore. This is what matters. These are the facts. This is where the evidence comes in. What did Hil- What did President Clinton... I'm sorry, who? I'm sorry. Uh, or President Clinton wannabe... Oh, shoot, nice recovery there. <laughs> President Clinton wannabe... <laughs> yeah, good one. Good one. Yeah, so sometimes Fox does think she's president, so I think she might actually be right. 
Uh, but here, here's Hillary at her best, where she's really peddling some bullshit, and it's the everything she says is the opposite. So when she says something is white, it's actually black, and this is that. A chance. And you can you can just you can like this could be actually before I started, we should name this theory. Um, the, the well, would it be would it be too cliche to say it's the Hillary distortion field? Um, yeah, I think it's the Hillary distortion field where 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 she projects her intentions onto other people. A chance. We had to give an open mind to uh, the new president, and I meant it. You know, I didn't want everybody who voted for me just immediately going into kind of a defensive crouch. That's um, bullshit. There were marches that were organized by your financier and people that were associated with your campaign the weekend after he was elected. Uh, there has been nonstop issues that have been raised by people that are associated with your campaign from the moment, from the moment that he was inaugurated. So that is, you win, that is, so she starts there, and you can already tell it's crap, and then she starts pulling in on herself. She starts pulling in as she lies more. She gets more and more, her body gets more and more rigid. You voted for me just immediately going into kind of a defensive crouch. Let's Which is exactly what she wanted. Let's see. Maybe there will be uh, a pivot, a move away from the horrible rhetoric, the divisive, insulting rhetoric that had fueled his campaign. From the you know, like identity politics. The very first day. Maybe because he'd never run for anything, he kind of was either convinced himself or had been convinced that this was how to... Uh, you know, consolidate his position in the Republican Party uh, and that there were enough people that would be attracted by his kind of uh, uh, nativist, uh, populist, nationalist, uh, scapegoat uh, rhetoric that, you know, maybe that's what he felt he had to do to win. So let's give the guy a chance. Well, that did not last long. And it didn't last long because clearly... As Maya Angelou said, when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. Mm, that's interesting. That's a... Hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm just thinking of some of your scandals in the past, Hillary. <laughs> Going all the way back to good old Nixon. Now, um, what what does sort of stick out to me uh, in, in, her, in her speech there is uh, I, too, during his inauguration speech, thought he would try to come a little more to the middle. And he really did. He really did put it all out there. And she's still she's still stung by it. Now, there is perhaps something that's on her mind that's got her in a little bit of a bad mood. It could be that the FBI is going to allow an informant to share his information, his records, with uh, Devin Nunes' investigation of the uranium deal. What happens next with tax reform? We begin with Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Herridge in our Washington bureau as the plot thickens involving Democrats, Russians, and American uranium. Good evening, Catherine. Thank you, Brett. House Speaker Paul Ryan told reporters today the FBI is finally cooperating and evidence will go to Capitol Hill within days. Why was the FBI not cooperating? That's what I never understood is why did this have to go all the way as far as the courts before the FBI would start to cooperate with an investigation? The FBI got in touch with us yesterday afternoon and they uh, has, has inform- they have informed us that they will comply with our document requests and that they will provide the documents Congress has been asking for by next week. The Justice Department lifted the FBI informant's gag order, allowing that person to share records and evidence with Congress Uh, about the 2010 Uranium One deal that gave a Russian business control over a large swath of the U.S. uranium market. Republican Chuck Grassley leads the powerful Senate Judiciary Committee. But it's so much more 
than what we uh, ever would have had information to before. So let's start there and see what that does. The allegations include bribery and a concerted effort by Moscow to curry favor with then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton through a large speaking fee to her husband and donations to the family foundation. On Fox, the Republican chairman of the House Oversight Committee questioned whether a federal investigation was hidden by the Obama White House and kept from a senior government interagency committee that approved the sale. So I wonder if uh, so they want to get access to that review. But I wonder even if they can even if they can really tie up a timeline here that shows that the Clinton Foundation took uh, some money and that Bill did some speeches right around around the time the decision was being made. They can they can probably firm that up. But how are they going to prove that it influenced Hillary? Wasn't she um, pretty far removed from the final decision? Wasn't she just one cog of many cogs in the government that were moving? Now, I'm sure as the head of the State Department, she had a significant role. I'm probably underplaying it to a degree, but she wasn't singular. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't just Hillary Clinton's choice. It was a it was a initiative that was across the entire federal government. And the State Department was just one piece of that. So it seems like a bunch of waste of time because they're going to they're going to figure out. Yeah, guess what? The Clinton Foundation took money. (gasps) Shocker. You mean there's gambling in this facility? And then they're going to find out the bill took money to do a speech. (gasps) Shocker. They're going to find out stuff that we've already had out in reports for ages now. And they won't be able to conclusively pin it to Hillary. At least unless something develops that I am not aware of yet, which is obviously entirely possible. But if I were to make a Red Book prediction now based on what we know, I'd say this is going nowhere. There may be a few low levels that uh, get churned up by the uh, justice system, but it's not going to touch the Clintons. I don't think so. And um, if anything is going to touch the Clintons, it might be some fallout from this dossier, but nothing serious. And you can really see the DNC chair, Tom Perez, the new guy kind of couching every statement when he's asked about this dossier, at least the DNC's involvement. You've now had a week um, to investigate um, the DNC's relationship with Fusion GPS. And I would like to know, first of all, if you would confirm how much money the DNC paid um, the law firm to pay uh, Fusion GPS. Second, who authorized it um, within the DNC? And third, who were the people within the DNC who um, actually got the information and interacted with Fusion GPS? Well, as, uh, as you know, I wasn't working at the DNC at uh, the time of this contract. Uh, when you do opposition research on another candidate in a presidential cycle, I would assert, especially in the context of what we know now, that opposition research is not simply something uh, that ought to be done. It's, it would be malpractice not to do it, especially when you have a a presidential candidate who blew convention out of the window. He, he didn't disclose his tax uh, returns. First time that's happened in decades. That's an interesting justification. You know, this guy, he was just a real wild card, and he wasn't going by normal convention, so we were compelled to do research. Didn't uh, he, he, he has a very shady relationship with uh, Russian authorities, and so... Uh, absolutely. The uh, the research that was absolutely. done, opposition research, initiated, as I understand it, by a, um, a, a, a conservative organization. And then when uh, when 
Now, this is <laughs> to a struggle. So <clears throat> he didn't name the Free Beacon, but he just a conservative organization for whatever reason. And then he's trying to find a euphemism for the Democrats or the DNC or something that doesn't actually say the DNC or the Democrats. And he just stumbles around and gives up. When uh, their work was done, it was given to... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, then it yeah, was uh, continued yeah. by... Uh, the, uh, don't say, don't say Hillary, don't say DNC. Uh, the uh, the Democrats. Oh shit! I should have said Sanders. Fuck. And uh, you know what we know from the research, sir, is that uh, Donald Trump, the, or the Trump campaign, and the Russians uh, were talking to each other, and their conversations, again, as we know from yesterday, uh, were about serious things, interfering with our democracy. So. Uh, we have not hidden the fact that uh, we had opposition research that was done. Again, it was done by... Uh, you don't need to hear him repeat himself. Uh, there you go. So that's the current line right there. Eh, you know, oppo research happens. These things happen. I mean, you know, it's no bigs. I mean, there's some really stupid shit in there, and we really paid somebody to write some dumb stuff. But that's another story. That's just about our leadership. That's just about our leadership. Let's keep going down this path, though. Let's follow the money in the Russia investigation. The 31-page indictment alleges Manafort and Gates acted as unregistered agents of the Ukrainian government and political parties. They're accused of funneling $75 million to multiple shell companies in the United States and overseas. Manafort allegedly laundered more than $18 million to pay for property renovations, landscaping, along with cars and clothing. CBS News legal analyst Ricky Kleeman is here to explain how prosecutors are using the money laundering charges to build their case. Ricky, good morning. Morning. I mean, all you have to do is read through this morning. and boy, it's detailed at every little payment to every landscape. There you go. Professional broadcaster Nora covering up her microphone. Way to go, Nora. Paper and where it went through the money wire transfers. How do you build a case like that as a prosecutor? Money laundering uh, is really the movement of money in essence from the left <laughs> hand to the right hand, Jesus. but going through a series of transactions so that we don't know where it came from. In the United States, for example, if if you deposit $10,000 or more, it then gets recorded. You have to fill out a form. So if you go around depositing $9,000 in 10 banks, you are money laundering. What happens in Manafort and Gates is that you're looking at financial institutions and financial criminals. So they wanted to hide, the left hand, that they were being paid by the Ukraine to lobby members of Congress and to get good things for the pro-Russia faction in the Ukraine. So you have to structure or transfer or layer this money by putting it through a series of transactions in multiple financial institutions so it comes out over here. Yeah, you can follow a model for this in the Clinton cash book. So what did they do? They set up dummy companies or what we call shell corporations. And when the money goes into there and then it gets confused and then it comes out and what confused. did they do with it well we know according to the indictment i think this lady's confused exactly about what money laundering is to be honest with you that manafort winds up with having payments for mortgages for clothing that's actually my favorite eight hundred forty nine thousand yeah. dollars they do like to uh they like to joke about the numbers of course all those rich sons of bitches know how much their outfits cost all of them are probably sitting there in clothes over a thousand dollars so it's kind of funny 
But tr- Trump, Trump's not finding it all too funny. And CBS News is making sure that we hear about it. President Trump today tried to put distance between himself and the investigation into Russian interference in the election. This despite the indictment of his former campaign chairman and a guilty plea by a former campaign advisor. Major Garrett reports what the president said today is at odds with what he said in the past. On Twitter, President Trump falsely claimed Paul Manafort's alleged offense took place long before he came to the campaign. But the indictment alleges Manafort lied to federal officials and carried out a money laundering scheme during his tenure as campaign chairman and while advising the transition. Manafort has pleaded not guilty to all charges. The president also said few people knew George Papadopoulos, a Trump campaign foreign policy advisor who has pled guilty to lying to the FBI about efforts to contact Russian interests for the campaign. In March 2016, the president spoke to the Washington Post. George Papadopoulos, uh, he's an oil and energy consultant, excellent guy. That same month, Papadopoulos was photographed at a foreign policy meeting with candidate Trump and future attorney general Jeff Sessions. Man, what's funny about this, these dumb idiots. See, this is what's going to get Trump is he doesn't know how to play the game. These idiots are sitting around the table taking a stupid publicity photo for the campaign to show that they're on top of national security. A rushed thing, right? They do this and then it sinks this guy. It's it's incredible. It's in their publicity stunt during the presidential campaign. They created part of this problem for themselves because uh, they had to show everybody that they were Trump was getting advised. Of course, he looks completely distracted. But um, this Russian meddling. Not being ignored by the uh, people over there across the pond. They um, they suspect there is some spying afoot. British lawmakers have revived attempts to find any trace of Russian interference in the outcome of last year's Brexit referendum. With more on this, here's Anastasia Chalkina. You know, the only thing that makes sense is that Russia caused the Brexit. Well, the anti-Russia hype continues now here in the UK following the uh, brave but quite futile example of this we've seen in the US of trying to implicate Russia in election results that were seen as uh, unfavorable. Now, we do know that here in London, a committee within the House of Commons had sent a letter to the CEO of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, asking him to provide details on Russian ads linked to not just the Brexit referendum, but also the last UK general election. Now, this is part of an investigation Damn being right. carried out by this committee. Look into all of it. Russians for days. An inquiry on fake news trying to determine whether or not foreign actors are getting involved by using online platforms. To- <gasps> no, you think? You think a worldwide network might be used by people all around the world? Oh, my God. God. interfere in elections. Now, the Russian ambassador to the UK, Alexander Yukovenko, said he was surprised to see this uh, kind of reaction from the UK, given that the Brexit referendum was called, of course, by the previous conservative <laughs> government. He's asked a question of, yeah. it's not clear who the British government is if Russia is able to influence these kinds of things. <laughs> the Russians always do have uh, such a funny response. Like, it's it's almost my favorite thing about this kind of news, because the story itself is like, oh, of course, right? Who didn't see this one coming? But then the twist at the end, that's always my favorite part, that little jab that they do. If nothing else, it's, a, it's at least a good for a laugh. You know what else is kind of good for a laugh is uh, when good old Wolf Blitzer uh, gets confused. Hey, I make m- mispronunciations all the times, like constancies. I'm constancies mispronouncing things. So I can't really make too much fun here, because I understand... 
Um, you would think, though, that Wolf Blitzer being, you know, CNN's like main guy and doing this for a long time might be a little bit better at reading the prompter. And our Jim Shudo, our national security chief, national security correspondent, CNN, Sarah Murray. She's our White House correspondent. Jim, uh, tell us, first of all, more about the case against George Stephanopoulos. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, who? I'm sorry. George Stephanopoulos. That's the anchor who works for ABC. Um, <laughs> do you know something that we don't know there, Wolf? Uh, uh, Papadopoulos, I should say. George Pop. You should say you should say that. Is that what you should say? George Stephanopoulos, uh, uh, Papadopoulos, I should say. George. I guess uh, Wolf had a few drinks at lunch this week. George Papadopoulos, whose role could be very significant. We got a drunk wolf on the show, guys. We got a drunk wolf. Watch out. Drunk wolf roaming the show this week. Now, uh, well, not another quite high- highlight of the media. I had to laugh when the media, you know, the quote unquote, the media, um, they just throw all kinds of crap at the Trump campaign. Some of it, he obviously steps in himself with his Twitter account or some of the things he says. <laughs> but sometimes you have to just listen to what they're saying. So this this is the end of a press conference. And as, uh, as the press conference wraps, listen to what the reporters start shouting. It's really something. We believe that Russia was behind the email hacks. Thanks so much, guys. Hope you have a... Uh... Happy and safe Halloween. Thanks, guys. Okay, before we get into the panel, just quickly, the, my memo to Sarah. Did you hear it? Does this administration believe slavery is wrong? Does this administration no, believe slavery is wrong? I got to play a look. Safe Halloween. Thanks, guys. Okay. <laughs> and then Brooke brings it home before for us, guys. Before we get into the panel, just quickly, the, my memo to Sarah Sanders is if she thinks that the press is obsessed with this story, she needs to check her boss's Twitter feed. Oh, snap.